now the podcast starts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast where sometimes we talk about horror, sometimes we talk about other things, and sometimes we swear. My marvelous co-host today is Kirsty Warrow. Hello. <laughs> and I am your often hapless other <laughs> host, uh, known as T.D. Velasquez, but you can call me Dan, bless you. Now, we are back on our monthly schedule for releases. So just before we go into the main topic, just in case you didn't hear our previous episode, we used to be a weekly podcast. That's got a little bit too much for us all. Now we're monthly, but we might drop occasional bonus episodes in between our monthly episodes. And now, as you will know, if you've read the title of this episode of the podcast, we're going to be discussing a movie that I think is so important that we'll, we'll, we will foreground the main discussion of the movie and leave out any news tidbits to the end of the episode. Um, so, yeah, it's a movie that's very important because it's 100 years old, almost exactly. Do you want to say anything more about that, Kirsty? Okay, so the film, the film we're going to talk about is uh, Nosferatu. Yeah, um, uh, yeah uh, F.W. Murnau's absolute classic 1922 I've, I've, I mean I've been teaching this film for many years now and it wasn't obviously 100 years when I started but <laughs> <laughs> it just feels like it no it, it makes doesn't me feel very old now. <laughs> um so yeah so it was uh, it had its world premiere in um Holland also the Netherlands um in on um, February the 16th 1922 and we are recording Czech's watch calendar the 17th um, wow. So a day after, that, but, yeah, an official official kind of uh, German premiere in Berlin on March the fourth. So yeah, so there's lots of discussion in horror at the moment and horror communities around this film. Yes, and you suggested we talk about this, and also our sometime co-host Ian pointed us in the direction of a, a nice uh, series that you can hear on BBC Sounds yeah. called 1922: The Beginning of Now. Uh, which uh, suggests that, that modernism kind of begins in 1922, essentially. And certainly they, they make a really good argument in the case of Nosferatu. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just re- I've obviously seen this film before. I think the first time I saw it, um, in case the listener is unfamiliar with Nosferatu, it is an unofficial adaptation of Dracula. I think it's the first time anybody filmed Dracula. Is that correct, Kirsty? Mm, I was just looking and I don't... I- I think there was an, a slightly earlier attempt. All right. The, the first film um, was called Dracula's Death. Okay. Um, in 1921. Um, but um, it's not, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a very, very loose adaptation and it includes Dracula, but everything else is different. <laughs> Dracula's Death, did you say the title was? Yes. Um, yeah. So that's not a movie that has uh, you know, no. endured in the consciousness like Nosferatu no. has. But on the other hand, because it includes the word Dracula in the title, perhaps they did actually pay for the rights to use the character. Yes. Which the producer so. <laughs> which the producer of Nosferatu did not, even though it is no. a very clear, um, yes. uh, clear <laughs> adaptation of the story. Um, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, when I first watched this movie, it was a different centenary. It was in 1997, which is the centenary of the publication of the novel. Uh, Nosferatu was re-released with a new score, um, and I, I watched it a couple of times back then. I've never seen it since, apart from today. Um, 
and uh, how wonderful to, to be able to, mm. to revisit it, especially in, in the age of, of HD and things that we have now. Um, but yeah, the, 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 I suppose the first thing to say about Nosferatu, and I, I don't know if you know more than I do about the background to this, Kirsty, is that, uh, yeah, it's based on Dracula, but they didn't actually, um, whether intentionally or not, they, they didn't have the rights. Um, they changed most of the character names, mm. although um, I, I've read it suggested that that was just part of the adaptation. They're, they're moving the setting to Germany. Yeah. They probably would have done that anyway, even if they did have the permissions. But the storyline yeah. is, is very much... Um, very similar. <laughs> it, it, it's very. I mean, obviously, uh, we we discussed Bram Stoker's Dracula on here before. We know what a pain it is to adapt to that particular book faithfully to the screen. But this film does more or less cover up most of the main bases of the story. Yeah. Um, yeah, and as a result of that, and and you know, doing it in such a way that even though they changed the names, it was fairly clear. They were sued by uh, Bram Stoker's widow. Yeah, Florence. Florence Stoker, yeah. And she successfully, uh, she won the case uh, and tried to get every print of the film destroyed. But um, this did not quite happen. And in fact, the film was soon re-released by its canny producer under a different name, re-edited. So it basically... <laughs> It's like curses that didn't quite work. <laughs> Let's try again and do it better this time. Um, and as a result, the, the film has kind of survived, been restored. Um, the music that was originally written for it has uh, partially survived. And you can watch versions of the film where they've kind of reconstructed the musical score and filled it in with, with new bits. But basically, that's my knowledge of, of yeah. the movie very quickly. You've been teaching it for years. I think mm -hmm. you you probably know a lot more. So I'd like to know what you'd like to say about it. Oh, and I'll chip well, in if I can. <laughs> I think for me, oh, yeah, well, so much so much to say. I've been thinking over the last couple of days since we decided to do this about my relationship to the film, about kind of favourite moments and why it's, why it's important overall in horror. Um, so I don't really know which which of those points you want me to hit first, Dan. Really. Can I ask you a question? Mm -hmm. The film was suppressed and re-edited and mm -hmm. then later restored. So do you know if it, it's now complete or is it like Metropolis where there are certain bits of it that have still never been found? I mean, yeah. I last saw it. I was thinking about this. I, I don't currently teach. I've not taught it for about four years now just because it's it's. I, I had a choice and I had to opt my slightly more favourite, slightly more favourite German Expressionist film. Right. Um, <laughs> Which will come to it, Which will come to it, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so the last time I, saw, I actually saw it in um, last year um, uh, in Shrewsbury Abbey with a, an organ accompanist. Oh, wow, great. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't, I mean, obviously with Metropolis and um, obviously Caligari had a big 4K re-release um five or six years ago um i i my from my recollection i think the film is as complete as it it's going to be it doesn't mm. you know unlike metropolis where there are clearly big gaps in mm. um and and footage that is very much worse for where this doesn't feel like it and i think the, the kind of version we've got seems to be the you know the most complete and it makes sense as well mm. kind of gaps in it 
So, yeah, it, it feels yeah. complete as a story yeah, yeah, and yeah. as an yeah. adaptation. And just seeing as uh, I brought up the adaptation side of it, I just want to quickly get your feedback on this. I think it's a really strong adaptation of the, of the Dracula story, isn't it? And, yeah. and it, it, it is still the Dracula movie that all others must be judged yeah. against. So many of the elements of the story, it's not, it, um, it's not that it necessarily... Uh, creates those moments in a way that the, the chimes with how the character might have looked in your head or the moment mm. might have played in your head when you read the book, but it does them kind of immaculately as uh, a cinematic uh, sequence. I mean, I can't imagine a better Renfield, for instance, than no. there is in, in yeah. this movie. Obviously, he's not called Renfield. The character is called it's called Knock, which, thanks to yeah. B- BBC Radio 4, I now know is German for bones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, I've just been calling him Knock for years. <laughs> right. So, so, that's, that's, that's useful. That's the thing about silence at the moment. You just, you just, it's just all in titles. You just read it and go, oh, okay. Um, yeah. that's, that's how you pronounce that. Um, so, so I was mortified earlier this week. I was like, oh, it's Knock. <laughs> Yes, um, and and uh, although um, not uh, in any way kind of playing into the kind of romantic uh, Gary Oldman, Bram Stoker's Dracula no. kind of version of, of the Dracula character, it is a, it's a fantastically terrifying um, version of Dracula, isn't he? I yeah. think uh, I would I, I think he's still possibly the scariest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, I think he you know certainly it, it sets up doesn't it that the kind of the archetype of the vampire which we don't see as often on screen the you know kind of you know the, the one that's genuinely scary that you wouldn't want you wouldn't want to you know kind of find leaning over you and you know in bed at night um <laughs> not that I would obviously um, <laughs> but you know it, it's like you know the kind of we we have so much in our popular culture and obviously we talked so much about you know Dracula and and um true blood of the you know kind of sexy alluring male vampires where you kind of look a little bit like okay bite me um <laughs> uh yeah Count Orlock is not that guy <laughs> it's no. absolutely not that guy um and yeah you know it the the rendering of the character is you know it's iconic it's genuinely unsettling there's something genuinely monstrous about him um which again kind of given the era and off the back of you know, it's a year later than Caligari, which um, didn't have as much money, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. And it was much more, you know, kind of two-dimensional. It's presentation of kind of monstrosity. Um, this feels much more, you know, kind of three-dimensional, fleshed out. Um, and so therefore affecting. And one of the things I love particularly about the film is the way that Murnau really uses, um, you know, in the cinema, what cinema can do to create that sense of horror so there's a a scene early on or kind of a couple of shots early on as part of Hutter's journey into you know the Carpathian mountains um where there's a sort of um I'm not quite sure if it's negative yeah it looks like they've they've made the film negative which is you know really kind of affecting and sort of you know um I, I find anyway kind of visually kind of inventive to sort of suggest this horrendous inversion of you know nature <laughs> yeah I, I agree entirely and there are kind of um inventive tricks throughout yeah. doing yeah. things like that 
yeah, with stop motion and, and other things, which is, you know, kind of for, for that era, it, it's such a, it feels like such a feat. Yeah. Um, and genuinely kind of adds to the kind of horrible and canniness of um, Orlock. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the trick that, I mean, among many um, elements of the film that are homaged in Bram Stoker's Dracula, I, I noticed that um, it's really prominent with the technique of running the film at slightly uh, to the wrong speed when yeah. Orlock is on screen, um, just so that his movements become not just fast, but also just strange looking yeah. human. And um, yeah, that, that kind of stuff is is wonderful. And I can't stress enough how immaculate the movie looks in an HD restoration. You know, mm. uh, we could talk about all these things and character them in the context of for the time. Um, you know, they're, they're yeah. using all, all these techniques and, and, and it's so experimental and groundbreaking. All of that is true. But at the same time, uh, there is just such um, uh, a sharpness to, to the way they achieve most of these effects that it, it still has power. And even if uh, you might, you might, as a viewer, be accept all those things, but still black and white is a barrier for you. Some people can't mm. deal with it. This is a movie, as of course most German expressionist movies are, where you just it just wouldn't be the same film in colour. I mean, can you no. imagine if somebody tried to colourise this? No. But you, you you say that, and no, I can't. But one of the things that I found was I was trying to, uh, was uh, when I last taught the film is I found a version, and I know that it was sort of done as a kind of experiment. There's a version of the film with um, sound that's been added. Okay. Which is just like the it's oh. Um, <laughs> including dialogue or just kind of spots effects and atmosphere well the, there's the sense of dialogue but without it being actual dialogue I think right. from my recollection but it feels very like you know sacrilegious yeah ways, um to kind of watch the film with all this you know kind of added foley sounds and so I think one of the, the, the things that makes uh, films of this era and in particular I think this film um really really powerful is that even when we watch it, um, you know, kind of con contemporary um, reissues and different versions with different scores by different people, um, we're kind of aware on some level that that sound wasn't intended um, for the, you know, for the film. And so, you know, in our, at least this is what I found, in my mind, it doesn't exist with any sound at all, really. Mm. I can watch it with a, you know, a live company and I can watch it. There's one version um, which has got a really fantastic sort of kind of slightly death metal-y score. Um, wow, okay. Uh, yeah, industrial and, you know, um, but like I never take those things seriously. They don't inform my kind of understanding of my response to the film. It's, it's very much a silent film in almost its truest form, I think. Um, mm. Yeah, so that's what's and that adds to the horror it adds to the you know kind of the uneasiness and I think that this is one of the I was thinking about this the other day but I think it's one of the films you talked about in 97 you know the kind of that Dracula um you know centenary which would have been right when I was you know kind of <clears throat> properly engaged with all of that stuff so I suspect yeah. I probably saw Nosferatu first at around that time um, as part of that. Um, and I think despite being interested in, you know, kind of 
vampires and you know kind of vampire literature and vampire films with Dracula and you know interview vampire which we've talked about before um I think it was the first time I properly realized you know what I love horror cinema that there's something nice. you know despite my love of other things it was that you know felt like a really kind of foundational moment to find this very very old film and kind of go oh yeah that that's the thing that I'm really interested in I'm unnerved by, but I'm a bit seduced by as well, kind of visually. Mm. Um, and it has this hot hypnotic quality, I think, um, that again, not I've not found any other kind of films of its, you know, particular movement. That it, you know, kind of has this. Yeah, it's it's almost similar to Vertigo in the kind of sort of pacing of it. I think. It's sort of slightly lulling. That's interesting. Yeah, and I so I kind of find it oddly, I mean, disturbing and horror, but kind of oddly comforting as well. Okay. I mean, I, I did think it's quite um, quickly paced. Uh, I mean, obviously, it, uh, we're now getting into the age where films can be as long as yeah. they need to be, and they're often longer. Yeah, um, <laughs> they are. And old, old films had to fit slots and things, and this film is only 90 mm. minutes but it, it I, I found it really kind of trips along mm. um but at the same time there are it's struck me that the film even though it is short and, and it and, and it has a story to get through in it in a short space of time it lingers on certain elements that maybe other versions of dracula don't do like i'd forgotten how much of the film takes place on the ship yeah yeah. You know, a lot of films of Dracula kind yeah. of act like the story doesn't really start till Dracula arrives no. on the ship. Yeah. But, but uh, I think at least half this film takes place before he arrives. Yeah. There's more a sense of once he arrives in... Fisborg, yeah. Thank you very much, Fisborg, <laughs> yeah. Um, which is obviously in the book, it's it's London or Britain. Yeah. Um, is it, becoming isn't London. it Whitby and then into London? Yes, because Whitby is right next to London. Yes. <laughs> we, we, we all know that. But, um, uh, yeah, uh, the, that is kind of where the main story takes place in, in many versions. Mm. But, um, you know, the, it's the, whereas it's more of the climax in, in this film. Um, yeah, very much Act 3, isn't it? Very much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I know what you mean about it, it being kind of um, hypnotic. Absolutely. Yeah. I just found it so delightfully easy to watch and it is all about the visuals yeah. even though the version i saw have the nice um hans erdman yeah. score that who i believe he's the man who wrote an original score for it at the time mm. and it, and the score has since been partially lost but this film had a uh, this version had a restored version yeah. of the score on it but yeah, it's, and that was lovely, but it's all about the visuals. On that note, whilst you're sort of, well, we're in the kind of area discussion where the, the boat is important. I just remember yeah. being so, like, once I kind of realised the kind of logistics of the era and the kind of, you know, how difficult it was to make films back then. Um, yeah. Just that kind of moment of going, oh my God, man, now has not only, he's not only shooting a ship, so he's got, <laughs> got a ship, he's also put his camera on another boat. <laughs> Yes. So there's a yeah, well, simple yeah. kind of, you know, kind of tracking shot along with the boat as it moves. And you're going to, the only way you're doing that is if you, you know, so just that, you know, yeah. one of the things he was known for is, um, you know, he talked about, uh, or the English translation is um, the Unchained Camera. 
and he's one of the first directors okay. to use camera in a in a subjective kind of emotive way whereas you know kind of a lot of his contemporaries um not including Fritz Lang, obviously, because <laughs> um, they tend to not move the camera as much. So, um, mm-hmm. and that's the kind of notable difference, I think, between this and Caligari. As much as I love Caligari, Caligari is very much kind of proscenium arch, very much staged for the camera. Yeah. Um, and Nosferatu, although it's not quite as the, the camera work isn't quite as mobile as some of um, Murnau's later films, it definitely feels like he's, you know, he's he's learning how to move the camera and to make it kind of visually interesting and not just, you know, kind of compose a really interesting frame for the camera, but also, you know, move it as, as needed. But I mean, it's getting out on location yeah. as well, isn't yeah, yeah. it? Uh, I mean, for instance, I've seen Color Gallery, but it was a long time yeah. ago, but I remember it being very interior. Mm. Um, it's all studio. Uh, this is yeah, mostly uh, location. Yeah. And, um, Something I would stress about this film is that although you have the stylized elements kind of common to this period and this movement of cinema, you know, you have the extreme makeups and the kind of mime-like yeah. physical performances, and you have some of the um, uh, some of the uh, the um, expressionist design kind of in the sets and things. Yeah. You also have this absolute sense of just real life yeah. in in moments. Um, you, you feel like you're just watching a documentary film, yeah. you know, from the early 20th century. Um, and, and, it, and, and it reminded me of that kind of scale that you only started to get in movies again, I think, in like the 70s when, you know, filming outside in natural mm-hmm. light was, was more common and you have like big budget blockbusters like disaster movies. Yeah. So, you know, the scene in Nosferatu where, the Count's coffins are loaded onto a raft and you see the raft in long shot going down some rapids and it's clearly a real raft with men (laughs) on it. But it's like, I I was just um, floored by that. And also, you know, um, the way the ship is filmed, as you said, um, you you, you cited that example, but when it pulls into the harbour at Visborg, I remember thinking that's either the best uh, miniature I've ever seen in my yeah. life, or they just filmed an actual ship. Yeah. What a, uh, and um, it just looks incredible, it does, doesn't it? And it, it again it gives you know, I think locating this, you know, remarkable, unnerving, terrifying monster in settings that feel you know genuine because they are. Um, is you know kind of a really ins- you know impressive way of of elevating that horror because it does, you know and again that's the you know the difference as you said between that and Caligari is that Caligari doesn't at all feel real even when uh, spoilers even when it should feel real it doesn't because oh, it's you know just because of the kind of studio um, setting um, yeah so you know uh, so this it feels like a, a definite kind of advance. Um, I was wondering actually whether or not it's, it's worth explaining what German Expressionism is as a film movement. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, uh, I think our listeners are, are educated horror fans, but but not everybody is familiar with every movement of horror. So, you know, yeah. so do please explain it. That's great. So German Expressionism um, as a film movement arises out of the artistic movement of uh, Expressionism that you know kind of very much the aim of expressionism was to relate um subjective experience convey emotions and create emotions so 
we're very much in the territory of heightened, um, you know, kind of subjective, stylized um, uh, representations of reality rather than authentic, um, objective ones. Um, German Expressionism as a film movement was what, 1919 to 1927, Metropolis killed it. Um, <laughs> because, oh dear. yeah, well, because, you know, it, it killed everything in Germany. <laughs> no, didn't kill everything, but, it, you know, kind of, it bankrupted the biggest studio. Um, so it, the movement begins with Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, 1919, 1920, roughly, um, and ends with um, uh, Metropolis, 1927. And there are, I think, sort of 12 to 14 films that are included in the movement. Um, yeah, so it, it, the kind of what unites them stylistically is this emphasis on chiaroscuro, kind of, you know, light and dark, um, jagged lines, distorted angles, um, uh, you know, kind of something that it, it's everything that we know visually about horror kind of emanates from that period. Thematically, because these are films that are born in Weimar, Germany, so this interwar period, everything was terrible. If you don't know why it was terrible, uh, go and look at some history. Uh, <laughs> but everything was terrible at that point um and so the German expressionist films were kind of way of um there's a really great quote from I think a guy called David Hudson who talked about that that German expressionist films were uh you know kind of um reflected uh you know kind of broken nation horrified by the everyday I think that's the quote um right uh so thematically there are about things that again horror is often about now distrust of authority, metamorphosis, um, you know, kind of fear of disease, um, those kind of things. Um, so, you know, Cal uh, Nosferatu is interesting because it is uh, the first German expressionist film on location. Um, so it has this kind of grand gothic scale um, and this, you know, kind of the, yeah, the chiaroscuro comes at these you know kind of jagged mountains against the sky and the kind of um lines of the um you know slightly broken down castle um and the shards of the you know kind of broken coffin um yeah that castle by the yeah. way is just incredible <laughs> uh, and um and another example of where i was going you know uh that looks like a real, really, really extraordinary designed castle. Mm. Presumably, it's a miniature. Um, I, I, I don't know. No, I think it's real. It... I think they've got the castle. Right. Yeah. Um, there was um, Mark Gatiss did um, Horror Europa. Oh yeah, yes, I, I saw think that. The, the kind of section that he did talking about Nosferatu was actually at that castle. Oh okay. So, oh yeah. yes, I, I remember that. Yeah. So different right. location. So. Okay, good documentary that yes. which I must revisit. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that's German, German expressionism in a cursed in, in a nutshell. <laughs> in a nutshell, yeah. Nice work, Kirsty. That's <laughs> that's a very effective summary. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm I'm trying to think what else I I'd like to say about Nosferatu. Is obviously so much. Um, um, I you know um, we've only got limited time. So if there's anything. Um, else that you think we should importantly spend time on, please stop me. But obviously, it's worth mentioning Max Schreck. Yes. Um, uh, you're a fan of the movie Shadow of a Vampire. I am. I, well, yeah, I think it's a lovely companion piece to this, Shadow of a Vampire. Yeah. Um, although, I the consequence, I think, of watching Shadow of a Vampire is that then when you watch Nosferatu again, it takes on a, a much more kind of comedy vibe. <laughs> 
Right, <laughs> okay. Um, well, so Shadow of a Vampire yeah. came out in 2000. I've still never yeah. seen it. Maybe I should. Maybe it's a missed yeah. classic. Um, but that takes uh, the concept of that movie. Yeah. is It's about the making of Nosferatu and that the actor Max Schreck, who played Count Orlock, yeah. was in fact, in reality, a vampire, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, which is a, a great concept. Yeah. And uh, and Willem Dafoe plays it. And, um, that and beautifully. Sounds incredible. Yeah, absolutely. But the, the, um, the, <laughs> the bit that always sticks with me is the, that uh, Eddie Izzard, um, plays the the actor who played Jonathan um, Hutter, and again I forget the name Hutter. of the actor. Um, right. And so the, there's this lovely, uh, so and um, John Malkovich plays uh, Murno, and so there's a wonderful mm. little sequence where they're they're shooting um, the uh, scene early in the, in the film where Hutter is in the kind of the bedroom in the inn, and he has in this book, you know, the kind of Yes. whatever vampires and werewolves and whatever and he picks it up and then just kind of throws it to the ground um so, <laughs> uh shadow vampire makes a really big deal but kind of quite comedic deal of the you know oh no no you have to be you have to reject it you throw it away <laughs> right. kind of, you know rejection of the you know kind of conventional knowledge of the um of the people of the area and their yeah their wisdom about the vampire um so again it just i oh, that is always a moment that now when i watch nostrata i always find really really funny and it's not because the <laughs> film itself is funny it's just because i'm remembering eddie Izzard wonderfully <laughs> in that scene right oh that sounds fantastic yeah. um i really must go watch that right time um uh, that reminds me of uh, when i first watched this movie uh I remember talking about it to my friend Ben, who's been on this podcast before. He he did a little bit talking to us about um, Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. And I always remember how he was, he, uh, uh, Ben was full of heart in, uh, going out towards Hotter. He said, Hotter at the start of the movie is such a happy-go-lucky mm. guy. <laughs> and um, he goes through this kind of horrendous, yeah. Um, kind of journey through the movie, and unlike certain other Jonathan Harkers, he, he doesn't. Get... <laughs> yeah, uh, but he absolutely. Uh, but you know, he doesn't get to become the hero no. at the end. He doesn't save no. the the heroine or, or defeat Count Orlock. He's basically not there. Yeah. He goes through hell. Um, but he's he's a really effective lead character yeah. and um another thought that i had earlier just spinning off something you said is that um yeah we were saying counter orlock is not that kind of vampire where um uh, the women really want him to do it to, to enter into their boudoir or whatever but it's really interesting that in this movie that the strength of the heroine mm. uh ellen who's obviously based on mina yeah. um and I apologise to the actress whose name I, I can't remember Greta as well. Greta Schroeder, I think. You are right, Greta Schroeder. He's not attractive. She doesn't want him to come. No. But the, the the mechanism of the uh, climax of the film is that she has to. Mm -hmm. uh, well, yeah. She has to surrender to him and, and, and she has to give up, give herself up to him in order to trick him yeah. into missing the cock crow, so, which is quite... Uh, it's a reversal of, of what normally happens. Yes. And I'm, I'm thinking about the fact that, you know, the bit at the end of Bram Stoker's Dracula, where, where, where they have the final confrontation and uh, he's had his head half chopped off and he's turned into a horrible looking monster. Yeah. But Mina is weeping over him because she loves him yeah, so yeah. much. 
Um, you know, it's a, it, uh, <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's the opposite yeah. of that, and and it's something which the the character of Ellen does all by herself. Mm. You know, no man comes and tells her that. Yes, she gets the knowledge out of this magic book, but everybody in the film gets the knowledge from the book. Yeah. If there was, if that book wasn't there, no, nobody would exactly. know anything. So what's going on here? No, I think, I mean, it's Ellen's such an interesting character, I think, that, you know, there are so many of the, again, German expressionist um, heroines who are, you know, they're kind of paragon of goodness. Um, but she sort of starts off as, you know, you, you sort of say about kind of um, her to being, you know, full of life and joy and, you know, um, and he is. Uh, she isn't, though, from, you know, from the outset. Like he, I think one of the, like in their first scene, again, it feels very... As many of these things do kind of contrive, but again, it's expressionist, so it's you know it's kind of meant to be kind of thematic. Her first, I think, line in the movie, as as much as you can have a line in in um, uh, a silent film, is yeah, he brings her some flowers, and she remarks about you know kind of they're dead, but they're dead, you know, also not <laughs> yes. quite that, but she's she's sort of you know inclined to sort of be slightly more mournful and slightly more kind of yeah. I suppose quintessentially gothic kind of heroine, um, and. I'm not sure I agree with the idea, your characterization that she has to kind of, but she does. I think she chooses. To. Well, she chooses. Yeah. No, she chooses. To. No, yeah. the point is that according to the book, somebody yeah, has somebody to. Yeah, somebody has to. It, although it speci specifically has to be a maiden yes. who does yeah, it. Yeah, which, it, which the wouldn't only... work, right? Because they're married. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah good point so, um, but you know he's obviously like you know the closest thing will do um so yeah and so you know she sends him away doesn't she to go and get um the the van helsing stand-in um who's called yes bulwer dr bulwer i think Bull, yeah. yes that's right um, yes so you know to kind of get rid of hutter so that she can you know um essentially do do the thing um and i always wondered about to what extent she, in that conception she I want to say kind of like a final girl, but the death count isn't very high in this film. But the fact that she, you know, kind of represents goodness and virtue and self-sacrifice and all those lovely things. Um, mm. And so she, you know, she chooses to, you know, sacrifice herself in order to, to defeat the, the, the monster. There's a sort of kind of final girl-ness, a very early prototypical... Yes, I, I suppose. I think... I think that's fair enough. And also, you say that the body count is not high. The on-screen body count is not no. high. Well, you yeah. know, there is a plague that happens at the end of this there film, is. or at least um, it depends how you read. I kind of read it because um, it's not that it, it is something that doesn't happen in the book mm. explicitly. But in this movie, uh, Count Orlock brings a plague with him yes. as he travels to uh, Visborg. Yeah. Um, and although I wonder if it's, is it really a plague or is it just that he's feeding on so many people and the, the people in the towns don't have any other yeah. explanation that lots of people are just dying with these weird marks on yeah. their necks and they put it down to plague. Well, I think um, I, either work. So. <laughs> yes, it, either way it raises the stakes. It's yeah. like somebody um, should have looked at the, the manuscripts of the book and yeah. gone, you could put a plague in here, yeah. really heighten the drama. Yeah. Yeah, but again, and, and again, this is one of the, the points the the um you know uh, the BBC thing made, which is you know kind of Spanish flu is very very you know um yes uh, that's true that or not obviously so, that's yeah. very recent yeah. in memory yeah. that was nineteen eighteen and we and, and we can emphasise 
Yeah, completely. And and that kind of thing had not happened when the novel was written. So it wasn't um, as as obvious a kind of subtext to to insert in. So it's a really good modification to to the end of the story. Um, um, I see that, you know, we're coming quite close to the the, um, time limit. Um, I've got one more question to ask you. Um, But is there anything else you'd particularly like to get off your chest about Nosferatu? Shadows. Just the okay. <laughs> I mean, obviously, there's the, the the iconic moment, which um, I still, um, I think my first encounter with it was probably the far show. <laughs> Monster. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, yeah. The kind of you know shadow going up the stairs, which is just you know it's. It, I almost go as far as saying it is the image of horror cinema. But if you were going to put, you know, kind mm. of five iconic images from horror cinema together it's got to be in that you know yeah i i think so i i think um it's also so regularly parodied mm. that it's it's part of the extraordinary quality of the yeah. film that it is still powerful in itself because even if you've never seen it before you probably have seen yeah. that moment oh, yeah, yeah. i mean I, I just kept thinking of um you know even before i'd seen the film uh how many times I might I, I will have seen things like that. So the Simpsons did yeah. it. Obviously, the Fast Show did it. Um, the League of Gentlemen did it. All that that was after I'd seen the film. Yeah. Um, you know, there's just uh, you could probably list twenty five more to be honest. Yeah. Um, and it will. And I did it. I mean, I did it in my student film at, at Sixth Form College. Yeah. Um, well, we we so... did it in our student film at university. <laughs> So, so yeah, so like it is from much, much parody by very, very good filmmakers and by us. No. Yeah, yeah, I, I forgot you did have some great shadow work well, in, that, yeah, yeah. In, in that movie. Um, whereas I, I didn't have that skill when I was trying to do it as, as a six former. Um, you know, uh, so the final thing I just wanted to mention is. Um, uh, you mentioned that the budget, it's sometimes referred to as, as low budget. I've noticed in things I've been reading about it. Do you think that's people misinterpreting it? Because um, that's one of the explanations um, that, for why yeah. they didn't get the rights to, to Dracula. They just couldn't afford it. Do you think that's reasonable? I think in part, probably. But I, you know, I also think there was probably uh, an attitude of, oh, it'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's really difficult when you look at a movement of film where you know the, the last film is Metropolis, which is the most ridiculously expensive film that any film by comparison, any film literally will, mm. you know, adjusted for inflation, look like a cheap film. Right. So um, it's Fair certainly, enough. certainly more expensive and higher production values than Caligari. Right. Okay. Uh, so it's a hybrid, well, hybrid it's, it's all about your frame, frame of reference it's very much you know if you're going to take the three most important films of this movement which are Caligari Nosferatu and Metropolis then not you know Nosferatu is very much the the, the mid-budget version <laughs> yeah and I, I suppose in terms of thinking about the legality of, of the rights and that it probably was a real grey area yeah. in terms of cinema itself was such a new form. Um, uh, you know, there were probably very, very large question marks around will people really notice? Yeah. 
it's it's over in England. Will people care? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and also, uh, were there even existing kind of uh, laws governing yeah. this kind of yeah. thing? Then I, I don't I don't know if there would have been yet. So, no. um, but the, either way, it's a great version of Dracula and. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a wonderful piece of art, and thank God we've still got it. Yeah, and I'm so delighted that, you know, because of 100 years on, it still stands up um, and, you know, still mm. want to talk about it. And just my, my social media feed this week has just been absolutely full. I mean, it all that says a lot about what I follow on social media. But um, <laughs> it's been absolutely full with kind of discussions of, you know, um, uh, Nosferatu, which just delights me massively. Right, you know, beautiful, and thank you so much for suggesting it, Kirsty, because it was a delight to to rediscover. And um, you know, I think it will live for another hundred years, but uh, so somebody else will be yeah. podcasting about it then, yeah. probably just using their own brainwaves. <laughs> um, who knows? So, thank you so much for that. Well, there we are then. Happy one hundredth birthday, Nosferatu. Now, if you've never seen the movie, it is very, very available in its original uh, silent visual-only form. You can easily find it in all manner of places on the internet, because it is, of course, public domain now. But if you want to watch a version with one of the more modern musical scores attached, you probably have to pay for that, depending on when the music was done. Um, but it is out on Blu-ray and DVD, and I think at present it's also on Amazon Prime, free to subscribers, um, although I'm not sure what region that is. Well, now we're going to do our, our usual um, little news discussion in the last 10 minutes of the podcast rather than the first 10 minutes, because that's how long we've got. So, again, you pointed me in the direction of a couple of yes. things this week, Kirsty. So there's a, a, a new Jordan Peele film coming out called yes. uh, nope. uh <laughs> no it's called nope i'm sorry these one word titles and there's Brilliant. also a new alex garland film yes. called is it called men or well, is it called men well well i mean this is the thing is um i'm gonna uh yeah kind of refer to um uh, on twitter uh matt hills who um listeners might know is a very well respected uh, media um academic um, and he pointed out on, on Twitter that, you know, Garland has got form for doing this, which is presenting a title and you're going to go, oh, OK, that's that title. That's what that means. And then in the course of the, you know, so Debs in particular is the example here. Debs is not actually Debs in the, you know, in, in Debs. Um, it's something else. Um, so what he points out is that um, it's that when A24 referred to the film, it's in capital letters. Yes. Um, so what he suggests is that uh, the lead character in the in the film might be suffering from multiple experience uh, neuropathy. Oh, okay, interesting. So yeah. Well, before we discuss them in detail, let's allow the listeners to hear a bit from the trailers. Yeah. Um, obviously, if you want to see the full trailers, they're on YouTube. Go look for them. Yeah. Nope uh, comes first, followed by Men. Uh, Men, there's not so much dialogue in no. the, in the particular trailer, so <laughs> I'll just tonal. I'll just I'll put a snippet of sound in, and then we can talk about it. 
Did you know that the very first assembly of photographs to create a motion picture was a two-second clip of a black man on a horse? And that man is my great-great-grandfather. Great. There's another great-grandfather. But that's why, back at the Haywood Ranch, as the only black-owned horse trainers in Hollywood, we like to say, since the moment pictures could move, yeah, skin in the game. It's a bad miracle. They got work for that. Yeah, nah, nah, nah. Yeah! That was Jordan Peele's Nope. This is Alex Garland's Men. What are you doing here? And we're back. So that was the trailers first of Jordan Peele's Nope, and secondly for Alex Garland's Men. Yeah. So, Kirsty, your thoughts? Um, I just, I'm, I'm so excited about both of them for for different reasons. Uh, one, um, jo- Jordan Peele, just you know, what a gift to the world that he is. Um, and there's a, a, a well, I was going to say non-horror related a recommendation. All of um, Key and Peele is now on um, Amazon Prime. Which is, it is, isn't it? Which is wonderful. And it was interesting to me, particularly kind of watching it retrospectively, um, is like sort of that it, it, at a certain point it takes, you know, a sketch show, it takes quite a hard turn towards horror and horror parody. Um, right. sort of almost sort of setting up the, you know, the kind of trajectory of his career. So I'm absolutely, you know, kind of looking forward to this, you know, it's very kind of clearly kind of sci-fi horror, um, but with, you know, kind of Peel's sort of trademark um, you know, kind of sense of humour, yeah. aspects of social criticism, etc. So bring it on. Yes, please. Thank you. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm a huge fan of him. I, I've seen the first full episode of um, the sketch show on, on Prime, yeah. but I've also seen loads of the sketches, some of which I absolutely love. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, there are some very um, horror-centred, post-apocalyptic, yeah. Uh, kind of things there um i would recommend it. anyone gives them a youtube and see what comes up there are some classics yeah. um i am uh i th- i think this film lo- looks great fun um i'm slightly less excited by peel stuff than i was about a year ago i haven't seen lovecraft country yeah. um, but i loved get out i loved Black Klansman, which he didn't write or direct, but he was involved significantly with. Um, I thought Oz was pretty good. Yeah. Um, um, uh, but Candyman, I was a bit disappointed with, um, although obviously he didn't direct that either. Um, 
I love him uh, and uh, I I love his take on things, but I, in a way, I still think my favourite of, of his uh, productions is Get Out. Um, I, I really want him to... Yeah, uh, I really want him to do something else which hits that height. Uh, it's yeah. a really good indication that this movie has Daniel Kaluuya in it yeah. again. Yeah. Um, it's, it's always good to see him. Um, so and it and there's a obviously the combination the fact that um Jordan Peele is a humor smith as as well as a horror yeah. um creative and, and a horror fan um the ideas are really intelligent and funny and and collide together in odd ways i think that the new movie looks kind of bizarre you know it takes its starting point of that of that, that kind of stud ranch yeah. thing and, and that uh, a kind of proud moment of of that family's history with that first uh, black person riding a horse in that piece of film, mm -hmm. um, and it kind of spins off from that. I think it looks like uh, it might be goofy. It it looks like it it, it I, I don't know what to expect, and in a way that's that's great. Um, I do think that um, I. I I can't predict what direction no, he's going to no. go in, whether it's going to be comedic or horrific. Or probably a combination um, of both. But I love, I just love the yeah. title, though. <laughs> just like the idea of, you know, a response to anything potentially kind of world-changing. <laughs> just, no. Yeah. Yeah. Be, yeah. Um, I, I, <laughs> I don't know quite how the title is relevant to the movie, but I guess you have to say yeah. that. But it, it is a fantastic title yeah. by itself. Um, just on the subject of titles, Peel didn't have anything to do with the series Them, did he? I don't know. I don't think so, but I, I, I wouldn't want to put money on it. Because... He, he was involved in the, the Twilight Zone, the new... Yes, I know he, yeah. he did that, but it's just that with Them, which I haven't seen, but just... The the art direction yeah. of the of the images and things was so like Oz, mm. the movie Oz, that if I was Jordan Peele, I'd want to sue them. And also the titles them, so you've got Oz and them. them it's like yeah. it's a deliberate parody. Um, so I, I mean, I I I'd like to see them. I've heard that it's very very powerful and yeah, a lot to take. Yes, yeah. um, but uh, uh, yeah, just. I'm intrigued by that relationship. Yeah. Okay, so we've only got a few more minutes, yeah. so let's just quickly mention men or M-E-N. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest, my only real reaction to the trailer was, oh, it's Jesse Buckley, <laughs> who's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so that that was good, but I did, I kind of came out of it thinking, that was intriguing. What the hell's that going to be? But I've no idea. Yeah, well, that's an A twenty four trailer, though, isn't it? I think <laughs> basically, it's. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm slightly bemused by it. In that, I, you know, kind of after sort of three pieces that were pretty solidly science fiction based, that the idea that at least on the face of it, the trailer seems to be folk horror. I, I find interesting, it's interesting, yeah. you know, and that's how it's been read by, you know, kind of commentators as well, that this he's moving into a kind of more kind of clearly horror territory, which is not historically where he's been. Um, mm. So I, I wonder whether or not there is some, you know, kind of science fiction elements in there. We just don't know it yet. Um, but I mean, I'm intrigued by it. It looks beautiful. His stuff always looks. I'm so delighted True. that he's, you know, 
one of the things that he said uh, after kind of ex machina or no after annihilation where he had a pretty terrible experience with the studios was that he was just going to work in television because he he felt like he had more control and i'm so glad he did because i love devs but i'm mm. kind of also glad that he's able to kind of come back to cinema and do something you know that looks yeah. kind of a bit more focused and a bit more kind of crystal um but it looks it looks beautiful it looks so lovely and i'm uh, whatever whatever it is, I'm there for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it does. Um, and is it getting a wide release then? Do we know? Um, well, I, I one assumes so. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure at the moment. We've in cinemas not... rather than on well, streaming. Well, again, don't know. Yeah. Then, who, who, in 2022, who, who would want to, um, you know, who would want to yeah. money anywhere for any particular release strategy? I don't True. know. I mean, the lot, you know, kind of last day 24 big one was um green knight which went did have a very very small cinema release and then went on straight on to amazon um mm. but then things were different then there might be more appetite to actually putting it to cinemas but wherever it is i will find it <laughs> yes i will be there so gala do you have that commitment yeah, from kirsty yeah, absolutely you're gonna sell at least one, at least ticket. one ticket get it out Two, there because i'll make sven go with me <laughs> <laughs> Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Bless him. Uh, right, that, that brings us to the end of the episode then, I think. Just before we go, I want to deliver a quick message from our co-host, Howard. Bless him. Aww. I've been speaking to him today. Um, he's aware that, um, obviously, the, the listeners know that he's been away from the podcast for a while and he just wants to reassure everyone that he's okay. Um, it was uh, very sadly, I think it's uh, okay to say now, his father yeah. passed away a few months ago and he's been looking after his mum ever since. Um, uh, but he's she's much better and, and he's okay. Um, and he will be coming back to the podcast at some yeah. point. We just don't know when. So that's from uh, Howard to everybody out there. Just a big hello. Hi, Howard. And thank you for listening. Um, because we we know our, our listeners care, and God bless you, all of you who've downloaded this. Um, all right, then, Kirsty, I think that's our Nosferatu episode uh, wrapped up, but uh, and I think that's uh, a shadow of a vampire episode seeded for the future, oh, yeah. Um, and also uh, Caligari, episode. oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm 100% think... down for Caligari, I'm ready to go now, <laughs> right. Okay, I'll meet you yeah. there at some point in the near future. We'll definitely do that. All right, thank you so much, Kirsty. Thank you. Listeners will be back next month um, and maybe sometime in between as well. So um, keep your eyes on our, our Twitter and our podcast feed. Um, you'll hear from us again soon. Thanks for listening. Bye, everyone. Bye. You have been listening to and now the podcast starts. Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited. Presented by Kirsty Warrow and T.D. Velasquez. Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web, www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages, 
at AndNowPod or at LeeCushingPod. Follow us on Twitter at AndNowPodcast or at LeeCushingPodcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash AndNowPodcast. And now the podcast stops.